This is The Silent Holler. I'm your host, Nicole Parton. And I'm your host, Stephanie Tate. And this is a podcast about the South's missing and murdered children. Hi, everybody. Hey, y'all. Welcome to The Silent Holler. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. We're so glad to have you here. It's great to be back in the studio after a little break. It is. I hope all of you have settled in from the winter and spring is upon us. I'm sure there are so many, especially back home, that are thankful that spring is coming. It is. It's been a an unusual winter weather-wise for most of the United States, even sunny southern Florida. So I'm looking forward to the spring. I think everybody is. Mm, sunshine, please come back to Florida. I, it's on its way. It was, it was beautiful today. No complaints. Right. So hopefully wherever you are listening from, the sun is beginning to shine on you. And I just want to say... Hello and welcome to our friends who listen in Canada. Yes. And to our friends who listen in London and in in other parts of England. We have viewers. We do. Who are listening to not us. Not viewers, though. Listeners. Listeners. I'm sorry. It's not television, <laughs> is it? I, I stay in TV mode. I know. Who listen to us from across the pond. They do. And I just want to say hello to you guys. And hey, thank y'all. you. I think maybe my cousin's one of them. I hope Leah listens to our show. Well, I think she would like it and well, appreciate thank it. thank you. And I'm giving a big shout out to those abroad today. Our, my Canadian friends who are listening um, and our friends in England. We have so many countries that are listening now. But those two I want to highlight today and say thank you. Thanks, Over the Pond Neighbors. Yes, and continue to share it and let your friends know This week's story is one that we covered a while back. It is. We promised to revisit it, and we are keeping good on that promise. Absolutely. Um, If you didn't hear the podcast before, we are going to recap the story of Keeslin Roberts, missing from Georgia. But I'm excited because today we have a very special guest on the podcast to help us with this case. And we love her so much. If you know this woman, her energy, her excitement about what she does is infectious. Well, she's genuine. She is. She's real. That's what makes all the difference in the world. Yes. She truly cares about victims and their families. We're talking about our friend Cheryl McCollum. She's going to be on in a few minutes to help us break this case down. I've worked with Cheryl for years. I don't I don't even know. Years now. Um remotely through Nancy Grace. We've covered shows together on television, on podcast. And it was only this past year that I finally got to meet her in person at CrimeCon. And that was really exciting. It was so cool to finally meet in person after all these years of working together remotely. I've been a fan of her podcast, but um, it was really cool to meet her in person and just be around that, that magnetic energy um, for those of you who know her, you know, she's like a magnet and she's also a person who brings everyone together. I mean, she really she is like the your cheerleader over she in the is. corner who's cheering you on. Yeah. I was talking to her on the phone before CrimeCon last year and she's like, all we were talking about all the amazing people that were going to be there, like mm-hmm. the, the who's who 
of the crime world, right? Right, right. And she's like, who do you want to meet? Because I can be sure that you guys meet them. And she's naming all these people. And I was like, you? I want to meet you, you. Cheryl McCollum. (laughs) And she laughed. And she's like, baby, dream higher. I'm like, no, I want to meet you. You are a hero. And we had the opportunity to do that. She has an amazing podcast called Zone 7. If you haven't downloaded it yet, you need to. Man, it's riveting. It's so good. And it, it she really covers all facets of law enforcement and crime scene investigation because that's her thing. Yeah. But I mean, you'll listen to an episode that's about the dogs that get involved in the investigation. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear from top forensic experts and medical examiners on her show and like some pretty famous people. Yeah. Famous CSIs, famous law enforcement she has a lot of connections she and does. she just brings you the story, brings you the case from the investigator's point of view, which right. is not always the take that we have. Right. And so Zone 7, check it out wherever you listen to your podcast. It's amazing. She's going to be on in a couple of minutes. But first, let's recap the case of Keesland Roberts for those of you who may not have listened to our show before. Right. Because this is exactly why we brought Cheryl McCollum in, because... Again, small town law enforcement kind of drops a ball and doesn't do the things that they should. And so we wanted her expertise to know what really should be going on. Keeslin Noel Roberts uh, was 20 years old at the age of her disappearance. She was 125 pounds, probably still is, 5'2", blonde hair, blue eyes. She was last seen on January 18th, 2020 at the Flying J in Resaca, Georgia. The story basically goes like this. On Saturday, on January the 18th, Keeslin of 2020, Keeslin enters the Flying J. The employee calls 911 to report a suspicious woman who's causing a scene. She entered an employee-only kitchen area of the truck stop and was confronted by that employee causing her to flee the store, leaving her bag with all her belongings. And she's been missing and hasn't been seen since. Now, we know that on January 17th, 2020, Keeslin was supposed to appear in court for a drug charge. And her failure to appear resulted in a warrant being issued for her arrest. Obviously, this also alerted her father who thought "Mm, she would have shown up for these court appearances because she's done it for every single one of them. She's been showing for everything. And so he immediately goes on the lookout. He finds her car at the Flying J after he goes and confronts her boyfriend and asks, where is she? And the law enforcement meets him there. They get some of her belongings out of the car, it ends up really being the responsibility of the parents to remove the car. The car's never searched. And the case has kind of gone cold. We don't know much more than that. And she hasn't been seen or heard from since. So four years later, there's still a missing daughter, a beautiful girl who had her entire life ahead of her. I think of 20 I mean, to me, she's she's still a baby. Absolutely. She's this 
great kid. She had dreams. She wanted to be a marine biologist. Uh, she was re- originally grew up in Dalton, Georgia. We know exactly where that is. And um, she was adored by her parents, Eric and Shannon Roberts. And man, have they been hanging on. They've been hanging in there. They have. Trying their best to do whatever they can to find their missing daughter. And so here we are four years later. Nothing. Not many leads. Not many new clues. What happened to Keeslin Roberts? Here to help us make sense of this and figure out what could have been done, should have been done, and what we can do now. She's host of a hit podcast called Zone 7. She's an Emmy Award-winning CSI from CBS 46, CSI Atlanta, founder and director of the Cold Case Investigative Research Center. She's a working CSI for a Metro Atlanta Police Department, forensic and crime scene expert for our friend Nancy Grace at Crime Stories. She has been inducted into the National Law Enforcement Hall of Fame. She has also received their Lifetime Achievement Award, and she's our friend, Cheryl McCollum. Welcome, Cheryl. We're so glad to have you. Oh, honey. I wouldn't be anywhere else but with y'all. This means so much. You are so much to us. I mean, you're you're the expert. You're the go-to. I have I've made a long time joke. If anything ever happens to me and you guys can find my phone, call my mom, call Nancy Grace, call Cheryl McCollum. Because my mom's gonna pray. Nancy's gonna talk about what happened and you're gonna find me. So <laughs> there we go. You know what? And we're both going to work off what your mama's doing because those prayers <laughs> work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But thank you. I know you have so much going on. On this one, Cheryl, on this story, we needed an expert. I mean, we have had such a tremendous outpouring of love and concern for Keeslin and her family. Um, this story is just heartbreaking because this is like every. Every neighborhood's neighbor. You know, this is the girl next door. And when you think of somebody going into the gas station, the Flying J, and then seemingly she disappears off the face of the earth, you just can't wrap your head around that. And so we... And let me tell you, I think it's clear for us to paint a picture of Resaca, Georgia. It's not like you're in a major town. Right. Where you can walk to somewhere else, major, where there's going to be a bunch of people. You're talking about a place less than 1,200 folks. Yeah, small town, like nothing. And I've been to that Flying J. I'm sure you have too. Uh-huh. Like you're out in the middle of of basically nowhere. Sure, you're on the interstate, but other than that. But I want to go back that first 48 hours when Keeslin went missing. I know we can't undo what's been done. But what could have happened differently within that first 48 hours of this baby girl vanishing? If they had understood what was actually occurring, I think they, law enforcement, would have responded differently, meaning her car was right there. They didn't even look for it. They didn't find it. And I think that would have been critical. She leaves the back door 
and you just think she's on foot. You think she's dropped her backpack. You run her history and find out she's got an open warrant. You're done. You think you already know what you're dealing with, but you're wrong. And see, that's where sometimes in law enforcement, we think, hey, Flying J, this girl's not from here. She's from 25, 50 miles away. She's ran out of here because she's got an open warrant and she was in a place inside where she shouldn't have been. So they call the police because she's back where only the employees can go. Now, why she was back there, we don't know. But when she was confronted, she ran. And then when she dropped that bag, they think they're dealing with either a runaway, a drug addict, or somebody on the run because they got an open warrant. When they find the open warrant, they don't look for her. They don't look for her. Well, it's a couple of days before her family reports her missing because they don't know she's missing. They just know her phone is going to voicemail. And now they go looking for her. And the family finds her car in that parking lot, which tells me law enforcement didn't even follow back up with the Flying J and ride through there. They didn't even look to see car insurance tag, make and model. It was right there. So and what, what, what can we make of that? What can we make of not processing the car? Well, I think it's more than that. Before you even get to processing the car, it's about 47 degrees. Who's yeah. not going to want to be in their car out of the elements? So now she has decided, I'm not going to fool with my car. For what reason? I know the keys were allegedly, or some keys were in the backpack, but still, it's her car. She could have busted a window and got in the car. Right. But she doesn't do that. She doesn't call for her dad to bring the other set of keys. She doesn't call her boyfriend to come get her. She doesn't do any of that. She doesn't go to one of the truckers and say, hey, can I borrow your phone if her phone was out of battery? So even before that, there's something that's not ringing right here. Yeah. It's just not. Now, again, that car, we don't have her phone, so the car becomes your money tree. That in the backpack, what's in there? Are there drugs in there? They mentioned that there was cash money in the backpack and in the car. How much cash are we talking about? Because you're talking about a 20-year-old that shouldn't have had that much money. So if she's got a lot of cash, where did it come from? Did she recently cash a paycheck from somewhere? Was she at the Flying J 25 miles from her boyfriend? Was she doing some prostitution? Was she selling drugs for him? Was she selling drugs for herself? Why was she there? And why didn't the boyfriend notice she was missing? They're not in contact via texts or phone calls. I mean, even if she's not with him that particular day and she's told him she's going to go visit grandparents or something. He's still not in contact with her, but he doesn't report her missing either. Right. Right. And you know, the thing is, then it's her family that goes to the boyfriend and is like, Hey, we haven't been able to reach her. And it's the boyfriend who says, Oh, well, her car's at the flying J. So now we're back to the car. Now we're back to someone who actually knows her car is there, but hasn't cared enough to tell anybody but how does he know her car is there if, if her phone isn't working and he wasn't with her how did he have that information he claims he hasn't been in contact with her he claims he has no idea where she went 
then how? You know, there there have been so many, and I know we don't have time today, but there have been so many other cases, um, Caleb Smith being one of them, mm-hmm. young man who also disappeared from the Flying J. His body later recovered a few miles away, naked. He was dead in an open field. But the last sighting of, of him, that same Flying J, it's like at some point we have to open our, our eyes and say, okay, this cannot be coincidence. Clearly something is happening here. You mentioned Nancy Grace earlier being our friend. Nancy told me straight out when I was 20 something years old, that there's no such thing as a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Not in our business. Right. And to me, if you've got somebody at that flying J in the middle of a small town, right off the internet, state that has some type of event, either a drug-induced incident or medical situation, something occurred with this young man where he is found completely naked in a place he would not have been deceased. Right. And we have a situation where it sounds very similar. I mean, Kiesland was not unfamiliar with the system. She fell into a bad crowd. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to run over a misdemeanor. Right. I mean, she was caught with weed. Come on. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, she got probation. And, yeah, she had a failure to appear with her probation officer. But I want to go back again. The day before she goes to the Flying J, she's supposed to meet with her probation officer. So that tells me whatever was going on with her started the day before why would she miss that meeting right and why would she call if there was an issue because to me all you got to do is call on the 17th and say my car's broken down i cannot get there but i don't want to be a no-show i'm telling you i'm i would i will meet you somewhere if i can walk or you can come to the house you know then right. on the 18th is when she goes missing but they don't report her missing then right still a couple more days So again, you're talking about the boyfriend, his mama, maybe some other friends that from and the probation officer from the 17th is to me when she started having some issue. And again, why is she at the Flying J a half hour away from the boyfriend's house where she's supposedly living? And how does he know that car is there? If she's missing, how does he know the car hasn't moved? Good point. And I've often, like, it baffles me that, first of all, that there were no surveillance cameras at this place. None at the back door. Like, no cameras anywhere. Yep. Not in, yeah, not in, not now. I mean, from from the 70s, the 80s, maybe, but now, like, what in the world? So there's Mm -hmm. no image. You know, it's it's also, I keep hearing her, her family, of course, they're fighting. I mean, what an amazing family. They have kept her story alive. Her father keeps mentioning the fact that her car was backed into that parking spot. And, you know, he he says, I know my daughter. She didn't back her car in. He also makes mention that the car seat, the space between the seat and the steering wheel. He's like, I didn't even have to move it. And usually I would have to move that seat back to get in her car. But when mm. he came, the, the you know, the couple of days later to pick the car up, those were things that like really 
popped in his head. Like, wait a minute, why is her car back then? And why is her car seat in the position that it's in when, when he took possession of the car? So it's, I'm, I'm with you. It seems like there's so much surrounding that car. But common sense, if she ran out the back and dropped the backpack and all she has is her cell phone, who's she going to call? From the woods, she's going to call her boyfriend to come get her. Right. She's not going to run out the back door and ask a random trucker for a ride 25 miles. She's not going to do it. That doesn't make any sense. So if he knew where the car was, did he, in fact, come pick her up? Right. Did he have an argument about why she was at the Flying J and how she lost the cash money that was in the backpack? Again, I want to know how much money we're talking about. Because she had a debit card. I doubt she has a real banking system. Mm-hmm. So if, was it 50 bucks or was it $5,000? Right. Because maybe it wasn't her money. And when she uh. freaked out and the boyfriend freaked out because maybe she was there selling pills. Maybe she was there selling dope. And that ain't her money. And that ain't mm-hmm. his Right, right, right. Makes sense. Okay, here's the here's the here's the big the big kicker question. Four years later, all of the things that could have been done should have been done, but here we are, four a little over later. You're the expert at this. What can what can we do now? What can what can happen at this point in the case? Prayerfully, they got the records from her debit card and a list of the incoming calls, outgoing calls, and text messages. Hopefully, they still have those. And if you can see, is there an unidentified number you don't recognize? Is there any communication with a number you don't recognize? And then cross-check to see who owned it then. The other thing is look for numbers that should be there that are not there. Her daddy called her phone 16 times, no answer, until it started going to voicemail. Mm -hmm. From the 17th to the 20th, the boyfriend didn't call the phone at all. Why? Because he ain't looking for her. Why right. Right. knows where she is. Those are the things that I would try to do now because those would still be hopefully hard copies in that file that they can go back and re-interview some people. Because here's the other thing in the last several years. People talk. Right. People get drunk and say stuff. People have a solid friendship. And then those friendships bust up. People go on and have other relationships that also break up. And you tend to pillow talk, you tell things. Well, mm-hmm. once you don't have that alliance anymore, there's no allegiance. Somebody should call law enforcement right now. There's reward money. So right. if somebody told you something, if there's a truck driver that has told other truck drivers, yeah, I picked this girl up in Resaca, and then I noticed she went missing. I hope they don't mm. think I did anything to her. Or, right. You know, because here's the deal, and and I don't know if all your listeners know this, but there's a term lot lizard. Mm. Those of us in our business know that there is prostitution at truck stops. Right. And you've got a lot of runaways. You've got prostitutes. You've got drug addicts that will sometimes go to those types of places way out in the middle of nowhere because the Flying J has showers and a way to do your laundry, and they've got a Denny's right there you can eat. I mean, you can set up shop and be there for a minute. Right. I mean, you know, and most of those big rigs have a cab with a bed in it right there, so you don't have to worry about a motel or going anywhere. Right. So 
if that is your chosen profession, that ain't a bad place to work. So again, why did she go into the only area for employees, employees only? Right. Was it to charge her phone? Could have been. Yeah. Was it to have some food? Was it to get out of the cold? Or was she hiding from somebody? Mm-hmm. Maybe some trucker came at her unusual or weird or out of the way. So she thought, well, I'm going to hide here because he might go into the bathroom and looking for me. So I'm going to hide here because I can't make it back to my car. And maybe she just freaked out and ran when they said, hey, what are you doing here? We're calling the police. I don't know. But I know everything about it feels wrong. Yes, for sure. I, I definitely disagree with the theory that she, you know, she missed this here. She missed this date and now she just disappeared because of this little charge against against her that she just somehow went on the run to Girl, avoid she was, she was too streetwise for that right if you are on probation in Whitfield County Georgia mm-hmm. you can go to Gordon or Murray County and never be seen again she's right. living with her boyfriend and his mama so she doesn't have to have her name on rent she doesn't have to have a nine-to-five job where she's got to put her social security number on anything what hiding is easy right and I think right. if she, again, went back and went in front of the judge, even on the 18th or 19th, she, at this point, she was street wise enough to know this could go away. They're going to pull that warrant. They don't want her in jail. Right. Probation is about money. Right. Exactly. If she's in jail. She's taking their money. If she's on probation, she's giving them money. It makes more sense for her to be on probation. Right. Especially. Again, we're talking about weed, y'all. She didn't hurt anybody. She didn't stab anybody. But for her those, parents, it, it's horrible. It is horrible. No question about it. Yeah. I mean, the you're talking about a beautiful girl that was on the color guard at Dalton High School, and yes. now she's at some out of the way Gordon County Flying J in Resaca. That doesn't make right. any sense for her mom and daddy. At this point, they feel. Um, you know, kind of at a loss, like they have, they're doing so much. She has an, an aunt and an uncle, like so many people that are trying to keep her story alive. And of course, as with any case, you always feel like, uh, as the victim's family, I'm sure you always feel like I'm not hearing enough from the authorities. They keep promising me an update. I mean, I think it was July 23 that the authorities said, oh, we're so close to a break in this case and you're going to be hearing an update from us so soon. And, you know, their frustration is just kind of mounting and growing and their heartache. Mm -hmm. What would you say to this family who probably feels like giving up but refuses to? What would you say to them? Absolutely do not give up. And let me tell you something. I've heard and read where more than one law enforcement person has said, whether it's Rebecca Adler or Michelle Gibson or the Roberts family, that none of these victims are connected. That's the wrong way to look at this. Mm -hmm. Not whether or not the victims knew each other. It's whether or not they knew a single same individual. Mm. So let's just say for argument's sake, they didn't know each other, but they had the same dealer. They didn't know each other, but they dated the same guy. They didn't know each other, but they had the same youth pastor. 
Right. They can have a connection because you're looking at it only from, well, I can't see how Rebecca and Michelle and Keeslin knew each other. That's the wrong question. Something happened to her when she got into this drug activity and these people, these, you know, this, her parents call it the bad crowd, the wrong crowd. Those are the people that have answers that we don't have yet. They know the why. So again, when you're talking about the world that you and I know and what truck stops mean for lot lizards and runaways and transient, mm-hmm. it also means the same thing to predators. So you're going to know where to go to find these kids. That's why everybody knows about bus stops. Everybody knows about prostitutes. Everybody knows where runaways go if that's what you're interested in. So I would have a parallel investigation where I'm looking at a predator and I'm looking at one of the people closest to her. The boyfriend, I I just have some issue with, straight Mm -hmm. up. You had to be the last person that saw her before she left to go to Resaca. Why did she say she was going there? What purpose would there be for her to drive 25 miles away from you? She didn't work there. She wasn't going to school down there. She didn't have a gig. Right. Or did. And if she did, you knew it. And when she did not return home, you should have been calling her phone. You should have been calling her people. Absolutely. You should have been calling other friends. So if he didn't do that either, and he, again, he knew where the car was and he wasn't looking for her, that's a bad look to me. Right. Well, at this point, we can hope and we can pray. And we can continue to seek justice for Keeslin and uh, keep the story alive for her and Caleb, uh, both of them, and keep keep going at it. Cheryl, I can't thank you enough for your input, for your expertise. It means so much to us and I know to her family to have you take a look at this case. Thank you. Well, it means the world to me to be asked. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, anytime you have a remote location that's open 24 hours a day, it's in a small, no-nothing town, and you've got more than one major incident that occurs there, ain't no way I wouldn't put the spotlight right on it. Thank you, Cheryl. Absolutely. Thank y'all so much. There is a $50,000 reward for anyone who has any information that leads to a suspect in the missing case of Keeslin Roberts. You can also contact the family's private investigator, Sean Burnett, at 423-413-6848. Also, the Murray County Sheriff's Department at 706-695-4592. And let's not forget good old Gordon County Sheriff's Department. You can reach them at 706-629-1244 or 706-879-5467. Again, $50,000 can be yours if you have information leading to the arrest of a suspect in her missing case. Until next time, learn to do good, seek justice correct oppression and bring justice to the children. Isaiah 117.
Thanks for listening to The Silent Holler. For more details about today's pod or to learn how you can make the difference in the life of a child through foster and adoption, please visit our website at thesilentholler.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Silent Holler wherever you get your podcast. This has been a Parsonton Production.